there, you creeps and weirdos. It is I, your not-so-humble host, Isabella L. Price, coming at you from the grave, the great beyond. That's right, you got out your Ouija boards and you called me out here, and I'm here deep into your eardrums like a earworm with another episode, and I have a very, very special guest, uh, a friend that I've known uh, for uh, a very long time, uh, many years since we were wee babes, uh, little tiny little uh, just little little creatures crawling out of the primordial ooze known as college. That's right. <laughs> I have uh, uh, my friend here. She is a a, a talented creator, a, a talented content creator, one of the most gorgeous people I've ever seen in my entire life, whose face I'm obsessed with. She doesn't know how many Instagram photos I have saved in a in, in a, on a deep web folder. Um, who's giving you vintage fashion looks, okay? But who also is a TV writer for the CBS show evil so she's giving you visuals but she's also there's beauty there's brains she's the bride of frankenstein okay she is gorgeous nyala formerly known as fka Gingy LaBeouf. Welcome to the show <laughs> that was the nicest intro <laughs> thank you so much to buff people up you know i like to like get them in so that they think that i'm like a good person you know thank you oh my goodness no thank you so much for having me i am so excited that we have kept in touch as long as we have because i remember the first time i ever saw you on campus i did like several double takes (laughs) and i think you i think you had in circle lenses yeah. And I did not meet too many people who wore those or knew what they were. And I, I've never worn them, but I was so curious about them. So to like see this gorgeous black girl with these circle lenses, like in this cool, like all black outfit, I was like double taking the whole day. You met so this me when I was like in my super Japanese goth uh, phase. Not a phase. <laughs> Not a phase, mom. <laughs> Where I was like, it's all about like this Harajuku goth kind of a look. Uh, and I remember meeting you because uh, you were also, you were like, you were like soft goth. You were like baby goth. Yeah, it uh, was like baby anime club. <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, accurate. <laughs> we were both like these two spooky black girls on yeah. campus. Um, and people would like mention you. It was so funny. People would always mention you to me, and they'd be like, "I think I saw your little sister walking around campus." Oh my god, that's so cute! <laughs> that's so fucking cute. And you're probably like, "Who is she?" <laughs> I think people thought that we were like because I think we had similar looks and similar vibes, and so yeah. I think people thought that obviously we must have been related. And so, meanwhile, it's like. <laughs> Well, I gotta meet her. I gotta meet her. Uh, and then we like hit it off immediately uh, and started talking about spooky stuff. And yeah. now you're like a professional spooky person now. I want that on the top of my resume. <laughs> professional spooktress. Professional spooky girl. <laughs> I mean, because you've always had, like, this great kind of, like, vintage 20s, 30s, 40s 
kind of style like you know like when you go to a hotel that's been haunted and there's like don't go to the fourth floor because there's a bride that like drowned herself in the 1930s and she like wanders the halls still oh my goodness yes that's the vibe you know and i'm so i'm happy that um actually one of the writers on the show said something really nice to me and she I was telling her about like my childhood and stuff that's influenced me and then she just goes oh you've always known who you are and I was like whoa wow (laughs) actually but yeah it's it's been this it's been these moments of like attempts to look a certain way or like attempts to mimic things that I like or um movies that I like and I feel like now that I'm older I have kind of managed to wrangle all of that together and have finally like hit a place where I'm comfortable that's so good like I feel like when you are young and you're experimenting with your style and your fashion and then you become older and you really like figure it out um versus people who are just sort of like imitating trends their whole entire life you know yeah Uh, and so they never figure out they're always just like copying somebody else's look but when you're like not afraid of being the weird kid throughout your entire life, you just sort of come into this really unique, beautiful, organic fashion of your own. And it feels like, but I see the thing that I like about your style is like, it's this, it, it's this beautiful mix of like, um, of like vintage, this romantic, dark kind of gothic romance kind of fashion but then also like sometimes you're coming out here with the bondage with the long spray <laughs> with, the, <laughs> with the you know coming out here with the whips and the chains and the and the I, and I see you out here pulling these the these fashion nova looks you know <laughs> thank you in these streets and it's the perfect mix like it doesn't clash at all it's the perfect mix of like thank you yes of like of like gothic romance and like keeping it real in these streets that makes me so happy thank you (laughs) is that what you're going for yeah I feel um I'm actually whenever people say that the look is kind of dark or if there's like remnants of that that makes me very happy because I feel like I got I feel like I missed out on a real baby bat phase (laughs) where like I see people who are like very goth um and like you and other friends and other people that I know and I'll look and I'll just be like oh damn like that's what I kind of wish I looked like or wish I had like a chance to look like for longer but I'm really happy with the style that I have now but if people sense that there's like little pinpricks of that influence in there that makes me very happy so I'm glad you see that (laughs) and if you guys out there are not following um uh, my girl you have to follow her on Instagram because the looks like constantly the Instagram stories alone are gorgeous and the inspiration is gorgeous also your Pinterest boards are also I look I love Pinterest same (laughs) same People like people talk shit about Pinterest, like it really do. You know, like it's this kind of like what I feel is is that people talk about it in this gendered way, like the, like it's mm-hmm. like it's like mm-hmm. for housewives or something like that, yeah. you know. And, and it's, it's like, no, you're no, you're absolutely right. Like people mm-hmm. will assume all types of stuff about people who use it, and it's really no, it is it is extremely gendered. It's almost as if it's relegated to you know, like almost as if like 
that is a bad thing that right. housewives are using it and it's right. just like okay well what that's fine and then also there's a bunch of other people who use it too and I find that it's the best space for me to I like being visually organized mm -hmm. everything else with my life and my organization skills are kind of out the window but being visually organized <laughs> is really important to me and so you have a platform to do that and it's a platform that so many different people use there's so many like gorgeous boards out there and I also don't really use it as a dream board it's more of a I will do this soon I just need to know what this looks like mm -hmm. yes it's like it's for manifesting yeah um, yeah for I, sure. I think that's a really healthy sort of a thing to do and I think that also when um was your was your major in school was it film that you were majoring in yeah yeah it was film and tv um, and so for, for film people, it helps so much, you know, because when you make mm -hmm. films, you know, you have to have this, you have to have an idea of what kind of visual tone you're going for and yes. what kind of visual references you're pulling from in order to make this film. And right. this is like so good for that. Um, and like, there's so many particularly dudes that I meet that are into films that would never even dream of using Pinterest because it's like too girly for them. And I'm like, dude, that is their loss. Such a good tool for filmmaking. It is. It really to, is. To get like your, your visual taste and your style in filmmaking. But yeah, you know, that's like, I, I digress. Pinterest, if you're listening, please sponsor me. Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. Um, so now you're on, um, you're on TV. You're a TV writer officially. You're on, uh, CBS's Evil. Yeah. Can you please give a, a summary of what the show is about? So Evil on CBS is about, um, a forensic psychologist named Kristen. And she, if we're going by like an X-File-ish model is the Scully of the show. So she's this extremely smart woman. She's a mother. She holds it down like with her career and her family and she is a skeptic. And then she meets David who would be like the Fox of the show. So he works for the Catholic church and he is a, like an assessor. He's a, like a priest in training um, and he has been hired to kind of like debunk these different mysteries that have been going around that are like religious and science-based. And so they end up kind of recruiting her with um, another person on David's team named Ben who acts as like the tech advisor. And he's also a skeptic, which I think is really cool. So you get a good mix of different people and beliefs and all three of them team up and go and like assess different things like kid this person has been contacting the church and they are they believe they're possessed by a demon is it possession is it some type of psychosis and so you have Kristen that come in with the science angle and the philosophy and then you have David that comes in with like you know religion and Ben is here to like maybe it's something in the water, I'll test the water. Maybe it's something in the walls, maybe it's the pipes. And so you have these like three figures that are really um, adept and really amazing in their field and they all kind of come together. It also discusses science, not so much science versus religion because we wanted to make sure that the playing field wasn't a constant argument as it 
could easily turn into. But I think it, it's a really cool conversation and debate. And I don't know, op opens people up to um, the possibility of different things. So it, yeah, it's, it's kind of like my dream show. I'm really happy I get to work on it. <laughs> I mean, I love that concept um, so, so much. And I love like the, the combination of the police procedural together mm -hmm. with the supernatural procedural in a, in a way. Um, yeah. are, you, are you a fan of the X-Files at all? I love the X-Files. Yeah, I do, I do. <laughs> I don't remember what season I stopped at. I haven't watched all the way up to the newer um, episodes that it's came fine. out. There's okay okay good yeah. okay you're, um, you're good I, I do I do love the show and I remember re I hit a point when I realized I had never seen it and so I started just binging it and it's one of my favorite it's one of my favorite shows of all time um I realized that I was introduced to it younger than I should have been and so I did not watch it for years because it like high-key traumatized me <laughs> because I saw I accidentally saw I think the episode is called Home or something. Yes. Do you know, do you, that one, that one. That, that episode, yes. That one. Yeah, like you talk to other X-Files fans about what is the most disturbing episode of this whole series, and it is that one. Yes. And it was playing on a TV when I was like a kid. This, this story is going to sound really weird the more I explain how I saw this episode. But I were, we were on like a retreat, like a school retreat in Canada <laughs> and we were on a bus and it was one of the buses I guess that had like a TV or something but I remember just being in the dark surrounded by a bunch of other people and it was playing that episode and it what well, I remember like very vividly the little kids playing baseball and when one of the kids like slid into home base the ground started bleeding and you realize later that it was because it was like a fetus was buried there and it was a shallow grave and my head was just like, no. <laughs> it's a lot. I think the the show is is a lot when you're kind of younger. Yeah, I could not handle it. There was my the one episode that sticks out to me is there was an episode I cannot remember the name of it where they were like, um, they were like, they were like Amish people, but they had. They had like asexual reproduction, um, and so they were like trying to get people to come back to their compound so that they could like reproduce with them, but they could turn into men or women. And I just oh, remember- I think I know which one you're talking about. I remember watching yeah. that, and then that was immediately after, this is how old I am, This is, it was immediately after an episode of Twin Peaks, mm. and, I, and I just remember being a kid and just being like, I'm out. I'm out. Five thousand. Yeah. Like yes, no, we're we're done. <laughs> yeah, it's over. <laughs> no. And then when I was older, um, in like I think it was like late high school, uh, when they started putting the X Files on DVD, um, and then I bought a whole bunch of them from like the Kmart bin and oh, I love that. <laughs> watched it again. And I was like, this is the greatest fucking television show that's right? ever been made. <laughs> no, same. It really is. It's like when you when you revisit it because you had that initial shock yeah. and then later you grow up and you realize like oh shit I'm attracted to this kind of thing yes. and then you come back to it and it all makes sense. <laughs> you're like oh I, I understand I understand where it came from where it's yeah. coming from yeah so, so for you were you always like a, a horror fan or was that something that you got into when you were older 
it's in it's an interesting okay bear with me so i i'm gonna say yes i was always attracted to the unexplained and weird kind of spooky things and i had an uncle or have i have an uncle who um Shout out to Uncle Larry. <laughs> oh, like Uncle Larry, if you're listening, hey. Uncle Larry, if you're listening, hi. Um, but for almost every birthday from when I was maybe like, I don't know, like 10, 11, I remember really, really getting into paranormal things at like 12 or 13 from the standpoint of like reading them and like trying to get books on them. But he would, act, he would actively give me gifts and everyone was like a book on and like a ufo hunter's guide or unexplained mysteries of the universe or you know like he would he would just like shower me with these things he gave me like uh, like close to a 900 page like tome of ghosts it just says ghosts it's black <laughs> and it says ghosts <laughs> and that and i and that book was became like the bible for me i was like this is so incredible that there's so much research and you know in each chapter was like haunted places and haunted people and so i just started devouring that but um but for watching horror i'm still honestly fairly new to it because that was the only genre that was like flat out banned mm. in the house i could watch just about anything except for that um, and that was because my dad thought that horror equaled slasher and gore. And then later, you know, I started to realize there's so many different subgenres within this genre. And, but from the, I guess from the outside looking in, it's like, and I understand the standpoint of why would you want to scare yourself when everything around you is scary, particularly as a black person. So it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but at the same time, I was just so deeply attracted to it and would scare myself half to death with, like, ghost stories. Um, I remember begging people as a kid to tell me the scariest story they could come up with. So, yeah, I think I've always been on this this, this train, <laughs> this moving train. So it wasn't necessarily like you were a big fan of horror movies, but you liked like the paranormal yeah. um, and kind of things that are a little bit more like esoteric and creepy and spooky and, yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I remember my dad was collaborating with, I think, another writer. And while they were working, me and my sister, and he had children too, we would all get to go in their basement and just watch TV and hang out and whatnot. And he had, you know that like time... And I don't know if it's by Time Life or what, you know that like book series uh, and it's all black and it has these really kind of cool illustrations. You know the one yes, I'm talking I do. I do because I have, I've been collecting them. Yes. So, so every time that I go to like a used bookstore or something like that, so I have three mm -hmm. copies right now. I have Bigfoot, UFOs, and Ghost Volume 4, I think. Amazing. <laughs> So I've been collecting those over the years uh, uh, because I, I also read through those books as a kid. Yeah, he, um, I think I only have one in my possession and I really want to do the same thing and start to just find the rest of them. Um, I think mine is called like Phantom Encounters. Yes. Um, and I found, yeah, I found it at, like a used bookstore and got very excited because it was really cheap. And I was like, oh, it's a thing from when I was younger. Um, but he had all of them. He had like all of them in his basement. And I remember pulling them out and reading about um like a beast slash werewolf type thing that was attacking people in france and i think you know what i'm like referencing but yes. there was like this yeah there was like this um this outbreak of just like really vicious attacks 
that were happening in France during the time of King Louis the whatever. Mm-hmm. And he and they had like a little, I don't know, maybe two pages about that. And I had watched my dad for for all of his I don't like horror has shown me some things that are actually kind of horror adjacent. Um, so shout out to him too. Thank you. <laughs> you created this inadvertently. What a New Yorker. What a true New Yorker to give shout outs to everybody. <laughs> it's so funny because like I was not even I'm not I was not even born here, but like I, I've been I've been here long enough. I'm like shout out to you. Shout out to your mom. Shout out to your dad. We stand. Oh yeah. such, such of us. Um, but but I but I did. Yeah, he would he would show me things that like I remember. There's this one of my favorite films is called um, Brotherhood of the Wolf. Brotherhood of the Wolf. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that is what. Yeah, that is one of my favorite films. Um, and I remember my dad really really loves that film as well. And so he showed it to me when I was younger, and it took me like three different tries to finish it, because there's a scene where this woman who was accused of being a witch has a seizure. And her being accused of a witch did not frighten me, but her having a seizure was really scary to yeah. witness. And so I like stopped the film and would come back and I eventually finished it and became so obsessed with it. But at one point, he one of the spoiler alert <laughs> for this movie. This movie is like 20 years old. This movie right? came it's out in the 90s. It's, it's old, right? <laughs> Thank you. So um, so the character so one of the characters, he finds out that the Brotherhood has like a secret layer in um, chateau and he goes in and there's all these occult objects including a hand of glory Mm. and i remember seeing it and being like really disgusted but also kind of perversely like what is that (laughs) and googling it so so now you know now you're the child who knows what a hand of glory is (laughs) um i was also really into archaeology specifically egypt you know like every kid at one point wants to be indiana jones because we don't know how problematic he is (laughs) I feel like every kid either wants to be like it's like a a paleontologist or uh, an archaeologist at least one uh, one time in their life. Like they either want to study dinosaurs or they want to study history, like Indiana Jones. Before we all had a collective conversation about, I, yeah, but I think I think there's kind of a beautiful power in that where I and I also think it stems from the fact that we all grew up on these movies. Mm-hmm. We all saw Jurassic Park. And we were all obsessed with dinosaurs and suddenly you realize, oh, there's a real field in this. Yeah. And then you see Indiana Jones and suddenly, you know, there was this really cool exhibition in DC for um, National Geographic and I went with a friend. And it basically was discussing how these movies introduced an entire generation to archaeology, whether we knew what it really was or not, but it still introduced like a whole generation of, of, of kids to that. And I was like, this is so intense but really true to me like my mom found a camp for me at 12 (laughs) for archaeology yeah so I went to archaeology camp when I was like 12 (laughs) I know (laughs) that's so so cute and also it tracks yeah (laughs) the nerdiest child ever and I was so excited yeah that's so cute oh my god I mean, I feel like my, my parents are also, like, religious, you know, so I was mm-hmm. not allowed to watch horror movies, um, but we watched, like, a lot of Hitchcock. Um, That's so interesting. You know, and a lot of, like, the Twilight Zone and the Outer yeah. Limits and stuff yeah. like that, and, like, um, 
also my grandmother would watch a lot of PBS. And so um, my favorite show when I was a kid was Dark Shadows. Oh, okay. I have not seen the show. I need to see the show. I think you would like it. I really do. I mean, it's not, it, it, there's no, there's nothing contemporary to, to relate to this, to Dark Shadows. There's nothing like it because it truly is like a horror version of The Bold and the Beautiful um and it's just it's so melodramatic uh there's like twins there's amnesia there's a dimensional voids you know people come there they're killed they're pushed off of balconies but then they come back you know and like two episodes like a gothic soap opera it is it is a gothic soap opera and it's the most dramatic thing like there's you know love triangles there's fake marriages you know divorces um uh, somebody comes back and they're suddenly pregnant you know (laughs) but also there are werewolves there are vampires (laughs) sounds amazing you would really really like it it's just like there's nothing to compare it to because it's so it's so over the top you know and it's also one of the things of why i think you like it one is it's in the 60s so it has this beautiful like 60s aesthetic to it um the, the costumes the colors um you know how british tv looks like how can I say this in a kind way? Um, <laughs> you know how British TV looks off sometimes? Is it like, um, do you mean like in a masterpiece theater old type of type of play? That, like sometimes you're watching something and like that comes from England and you're like, why is this so grainy? And you're looking oh. at it and you're like, this is from 2018. Why does it look like it was shot? Like, I don't know why British television looks... It looks weird to me. It looks off. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're watching something and you're like, why doesn't this feel right? And then you discover mm-hmm. that it's Canadian, you know? Like, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I just saw a meme that said that. And I'm like, maybe I don't watch enough Canadian television shows because I have I don't think I've experienced this yet. Really? I mean this is like universal. <laughs> I'm just I'm over here like, oh damn, like maybe but now I'm going through my like little rollerbags of stuff that I've watched. I'm like, it's just, I was thinking about this the other day because uh, there's a show on Netflix that just came out. Um, oh man, what's it called? October section or October something? Oh, I saw, I was on Netflix earlier and I saw like the little preview for mm-hmm. that. Netflix has so many shows. I do not even know where. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Well, see, the thing is, though, is that I was halfway through watching The Circle, which is not um, a show that I would recommend uh, for anybody who loves themselves. It's a reality TV show. It's trash. Um, And so uh, I was watching that, and then this thing came up, and my friend recommended uh, that we should watch it. And so we were watching that, um, and I was like, why does this feel off? Uh, It feels like either it should be on the sci-fi channel or mm-hmm. it feels like it's canadian and it just it has like a <laughs> it's like it has a look to it it's like a feel it's like there's it's like they're speaking english but they're not speaking english like mm-hmm. they're not like it's like a show that aliens would make when they were like <laughs> i'm trying to mimic us Okay, I feel like I'm not making any sense. I digress. <laughs> no, but this makes me want to see all of this. 
because if it's a weird show that aliens have made to try to like assimilate <laughs> and project back to us that that's what it feels cool. it feels like it's a show made by people who are body snatchers and they're trying to figure out like is this how human we we've seen we've gotten they finally got the transmissions that we've been sending to them since the 50s and they're okay, back hold on for a sec because i know that you're a writer too so like please do something with this i don't know if you do comedy i know you i know you write horror as well but if you ever want to do like horror comedy please keep this idea because this sounds really funny and you should write it this show this it would be a show about a, a group of aliens who finally realized their dream of being tv writers And they've come back to Earth, and they're like, we've been getting these the episodes of I Love Lucy and the Honeymooners that you've been sending us since the 1950s, and we're back, and we want to make our own show. Um, you know what? If you want to, you can pass this along to, to the head of CBS. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> I'll be like, listen, I know a great writer. I'm just going to slide this here. You, here. <laughs> And if you want to just, you know, like slip my name into some conversations, yeah, I wouldn't mind, you know. But like, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna workshop this. I'm gonna send you a treatment. And um... hilarious. No, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. The more you kept talking, I was like, actually, that sounds really funny. <laughs> so, so now you're like, you're. How, how do you feel about like horror nowadays, though? Because, because I feel like horror. Um, is more mainstream now. It's more easy to access than before. Mm-hmm. There's so many. There's so many good horror movies now that are actually just good films in general. Yeah. So how and do you I feel know, about it? I know for myself, it's so interesting that like I did not grow up in a super religious background to the point where I have like religious guilt, but I do have, I had horror movie guilt. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, yeah, so I literally had this like weird secret shame of, cause you know, it's some people would kind of regurgitate like not only do weird people like these movies, but bad people make these movies mm-hmm. and you know, it's filled with violence or blood or you know, all of these like bad situations that people are in so if you're attracted to it and so so my brain was like oh I like this maybe there's something wrong with me and I think Mm -hmm. I like I overthought it to the point of a very intense guilt that I no longer have because like it obviously backfired but like I couldn't celebrate Halloween I couldn't watch horror movies so it, it I feel like it kind of mimics some friends that did have a religious upbringing in a very strange sense um but there was this i wish i remembered her name i'll send you her meet she wrote like a medium article about being a black woman who grew up in a religious household and her guilt but also her love of horror and i've never read anything that hit it so like on the nose with everything that i was feeling i have tried to find her social media i don't I hope she's still writing because it was so brilliant. But now that I've kind of, now that I've like gotten over that, I think, I think I'm one of those people that take, not offense, but like, whenever, you know, the term, you know, everyone started using that term elevated Mm -hmm. or something. 
when movies like The Witch um, were starting to come out and The Babadook were coming out. And even though I'm not an expert in the fact that I've seen a lot of horror classics, part of the fun that I'm having is watching these films that everybody knows that I just have not seen yet. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I'm excited because I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, I get to go back and I get to experience that for the first time. But, but, but while watching it now, I'm like, it's, this, is, this has always been elevated. This has always been, you know, this genre that I kept like, um, in my interview for the show, I kept saying horror is the best way to tell the truth because you can say so much in a space that has arguably given us some of the most beautiful images ever put to screen. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's really cool that there's a lot of like, you know, not smarter, but just like, there's a lot more, there's more, more smart dudes. I'm trying to, you, you know what I'm trying to say? You're doing great. You're doing great. There's more smart. There's more smart No, I, I mean, I feel like, you know, this kind of conversation of like, quote unquote, elevated horror came from a lot of people who um, maybe their only idea of what horror movies were was a slasher film um, of like the 80s and the 90s. But if you go back and you watch films from, I mean, the 20s on, you know, there's so many great examples of, of horror movies that are thoughtful, creative, original um uh beautiful movies but if you're only kind of thinking of recent memory yeah in the late 70s 80s uh, and to a certain degree the 90s um there was a lot of these kind of uh repetitive um recycled horror for a really long time uh and um you know it was the same kind of formulaic kind of a thing and also the movies were like um really problematic i'm working on this article and i really need to finish it about horror during reagan um oh, i'm so excited to, to like uh, read it when you're done. yes me too when i finish it <laughs> i've been working on this article literally i've been outlining it since halloween so okay i'm now that it's out there <laughs> outlining is really hard and it's the worst so it is, it is. that's what you're doing it though <laughs> Um, but, you know, this idea of, like, horror went through this really deep conservative phase for a really long time, where it was, like, all about punishing people who have sex, punishing people who yeah. do drugs, yeah. um, punishing loose women, um, and also killing off black people. Yeah. Um, and I think that that has so much to do with the culture that we were in in the 1980s. I think mm-hmm. Reagan... Um, is a um, a terrifying figure to people who are queer, you know, black, um, uh, female, you know, immigrants. Like Reagan is that kind of a. So the the title of the article is Reagan is uh, Reagan is Freddy Krueger, um, and so and so I think that like whatever uh, people were afraid of, they kind of like translated that over into horror. Yes. It's only in recent times, I feel like, that we've been looking back on the, that horror and being like, what's the conversation here? What are we having? Mm-hmm. And so that's how you get movies like The Babadook. That's how you get movies like Get Out, um, yeah. you know, Jennifer's Body. Um, you get all these kinds of movies that are having conversations with these older mindsets and the culture that we're in. 
Um, and so you get more of this, I mean, elevated horror is like, God, it, 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 it's like, you can only think that there's elevated horror if you think that the horror was below from the first place. Exactly. Exactly. Like if you're already looking at a genre as this thing that is beneath you or beneath other genres, and then suddenly you're like, oh, this can be lifted instead of realizing that it has always reflected, like you said, societal fears and pressures, and they've come in the form of aliens from other planets. You know, the and like you mentioned, invasion of the body snatchers, um, a loss of identity, perhaps a loss of American identity. What is American identity mm-hmm. to begin with? Um, and that's why I think that this genre is so like deeply beautiful in the sense that you have all of this to play with in the most like depending on the filmmaker grotesque way (laughs) possible um my personal favorite is like haunted houses though i don't like okay i'm one of those people that have said i don't like gore forever and ever and ever but i really love hellraiser and i love (laughs) mandy and so what i think i'm realizing is i don't mind it but i don't i don't like um torture porn yeah, and I, yeah I yeah I don't like anything that's just really disgusting and gratuitous but I don't mind um like I watched John Carpenter's The Thing mm. like I think maybe early last year mm-hmm. and one thing with me in this genre is I will know about these movies I will see images from these movies because you know they're so old and they're just so ingrained in the culture and in horror knowledge and I will put them off on purpose like I I saw the the image of the head with the spider legs yeah coming out of it yeah. and I was just like that's that's fine I don't need that in my <laughs> life <laughs> but then but then I thought okay maybe I maybe I do need to see this movie and um because I'm a horror fan and it's like oh come on there's some movies that it's just like no you really need to see this and I saw it and I loved it it's one of my favorites but um yeah that all that was a lot. No, I totally understand. Cause like, I I didn't want to see the the thing for the thing is like one of my favorite movies. I love this movie. I watch it every every time it snows. I'll turn. Oh, on. that's amazing! That's such a cool <laughs> tradition. So the first snow of the year, I'll turn on the thing, and so that's kind of like I this this weird thing that I picked up. Um, and uh, it was the same kind of a thing. I was writing a, a thing for school um, about practical effects, and yeah. so. Yeah. One of the movies that I really wanted to study was The Thing and how they did all the practical effects versus the remake that they made in 2011, I think it was. I haven't seen that, but it's someone on past, okay, okay. Past. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, don't worry about it. I didn't see it, but someone on YouTube made a compilation of the monster and the CGI. Mm-hmm. And although it was really disturbing there was some small disconnect in my brain because I knew it was you know I I kind of I mean while I don't know how they did it you know how they did it like you can kind of look and go oh well I I got an idea of how you did this Mm -hmm. yeah the original one with the practical effects was just unreal yeah I was I was so I was reading this article this is also another tangent but I was reading this article about the psych the psychology that happens inside of your brain when you see something like a puppet or some animatronics versus when you see um something that's cgi Mm -hmm. and your brain 
somehow, I don't know, I don't remember how, but somehow your brain understands that, so everything around a real actual figure changes when it's in the space. So your body, when it's in the space, it changes the environment around it. It changes, um, you know, when you sit down in a chair, the chair moves around you. Um, Light changes around you depending on if you're in the space or not. Um, But when you see something that's CGI, nothing has changed like the the elements around it the space around it is unchanged it's just like the cgi figure that that thing maybe it touches something and then that changes but the space around it doesn't change that's so interesting but when you have a puppet the puppet changes the space the puppet is in the room we all know the puppets in the room they were using the example of the never ending story uh which is like also one of my favorites but that's always in my head and i just gotta like get in (laughs) so good it's so good um but you know, them having actual life-sized puppets. They had to change the scene to go around the puppets versus when you have a CGI where the CGI character is blended in after the fact. Mm -hmm. And our brains know the difference. And so our brains know like, oh, this, this real animatronic is actually creating the space. It's actually in the space. And it's slightly more terrifying when we know mm-hmm. versus seeing something that's completely uh, CGI mm-hmm. where we're just like, oh, nothing's going to happen because it's just some guy at a computer who's like creating this stuff for me. That is so fascinating. And I, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense because although I like know and love that CGI is such a really intense art form in itself. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you'll, you'll look at it. Cause I saw, I, I've like spoiled the 2011 one for myself because uh, body horror is something that I'm new to, but like fairly interested in. So I was just seeking examples and I was looking at it and I was like, Oh my God, this man is like, morphing into another man yeah. and you know it's it's the same thing of like go get the flamethrower <laughs> and they're like trying to kill this thing but I still was just kind of like this is a mass yeah and I'm like this is a this is a mass of bodies that are morphing into things whereas the thing that was so disturbing about the practical effects one oh my god like I didn't I'm really just like having flashbacks to what everything looked like and it the the flesh was real it was yeah. you know like it looked like this is right. really someone's real flesh morphing with like you said this thing this puppet this i don't i don't even know how they did it but I mean, it just it looks it, it grosses you out more like you're just more affected yeah. by seeing something that you're like oh that's like it's like actually dripping on the floor and it's actually crawling on the ceiling like it's yeah. just there's something my favorite part of that movie is when i say favorite i mean my least favorite part one is the part with the dog I f- Oh, <laughs> can't do it. The part with the dog when the dog's like face like splits open. I hate that Ooh. part. Um, <laughs> then uh, the part where they're doing uh, resuscitation on the guy <laughs> and his chest pops open. <laughs> oh my god! For me, it's always gonna be that spider head. Yeah. Um, I, did you see? Um, did you see it too? Yeah. 
Okay, so you remember the little homage to that where yeah. like the kid's head and I was like, Oh, there it is. But yeah, it's just it's such a like like what what brain <laughs> that up? How? I mean you think about like what is the scariest thing that you can imagine happening to a head and it is it growing legs. You think like what's the worst that could happen in this scenario? Yes, it would be a head uh, crawling out of the room on its own. That is too much. (laughs) Wait, what's the movie that we actually said we were going to talk about during this? Oh, oh, um, yeah, because I I watched it this morning. The Orphanage. That's right. We actually said we're going to talk. We've been talking about every movie. Um, uh, okay, so for example, like The Orphanage, I, this movie is terrifying. Yes. Um, and it's, it's one of the most like low um, effects movies. It yeah. doesn't have like the use of CGI. I'm trying to think if there's any major CGI that's in the movie. Um, My guess is if they used it... Um, my guess is that they probably did something like The Others because mm. on YouTube, The Others has, like, someone had posted, like, a CG, F, like, a CGI FX breakdown, and it was to add fog. It yeah. was like, here's Nicole Kidman by a window. We are adding more fog. We're adding more gloom. We're changing, um, not the landscape, but, like, the um, the color and almost, like, the, the dim of the clouds and the weather. Mm-hmm. So I, if they had any, it probably was just to enhance... Which is which is kind of cool. Yeah, I think that like when you think of the the beach scene, yeah. um, you know that's probably um, added to with special effects. You know because if they didn't, that would be so dangerous. You know they're yeah. you know they were running on this beach, the tides coming in and stuff like that. So yeah. they're probably out of water. But for the most part, it's like it's atmospheric, it's tone, it's mood, um, and uh, oh hi, it's my cat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> your cat was also so instagram famous <laughs> i know my oh my baby i need to stop because i'll talk about this cat instead of <laughs> i'm just gonna be very like slightly distracted because i don't want her to step on the kill switch on this computer so you, you should can stay right here um but yeah like the 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 tone and the atmosphere of this movie is is terrifying um you know um and like as a writer it must be really difficult for you i mean i would you know for me it's also really difficult to kind of capture uh tension and tone Mm -hmm. and mood Mm -hmm. um how do you feel about that i think funny enough tone mood and atmosphere are some of my favorite things dialogue is the thing that kind of freaks me out Mm. so whenever I watch a movie that just has like really well-written dialogue I'm like oh man like how do you because you you have to you have to capture a very natural conversation and you have to capture it in a way that does not make the audience go oh god like no one would ever say that Mm -hmm. um so but when yeah whenever someone writes dialogue really well I'm like kind of personally shook because that's the thing that I like sit and feel as though I struggle with but I love tone and atmosphere and mood and I feel I feel like I'm pretty decent at it because I love descriptions and so I've actually been told that 
my language is a bit like I remember in college being told like it's a bit flowery mm. and it's more prose like and so I have to kind of cut that down so it fits the screenplay as a blueprint and not a novel situation but I yeah I love description you know it's like the person walked up the staircase here and there's yeah like certain words that just kind of evoke a feeling of dread I am obsessed with and so with this film I feel like I wish I could find the script I know it's in Spanish but I found the others at one point I found like an English translation of the screenplay the others I feel like, I mean, because I just uh, downloaded a, the screenplay of Parasite, and so I feel like Ooh, somebody okay. has to have a copy of The Orphanage in English. Um, I'd, love to, I'd love to get my hands on that. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, because the, the dialogue isn't really that heavy in the film. The, mm -hmm. the film is, like, not really, like... Um, you know, like a Tarantino movie where it's yeah. like 90%. No one, yeah, no one has any intense monologues that they're giving. You know, no one is standing up and like professing this incredible brand thing, but it feels so genuine because it is about, you know, a mother who lost a child, like quite literally lost a child yeah. and is also dealing with that loss and the fact that she's living at like the place where she got adopted from and her husband you know doesn't really believe her so yeah I feel like this movie personally ticked off every single box that I love in horror films um and because I watched it this even watching it in the daytime like I literally watched it this morning and was looking down like the little hall <laughs> in my apartment because I was like oh <laughs> The boss is gonna be here. I know. <laughs> Can you imagine if you like turned around and there was just like a little boy in your hallway? Look, I would. I I I do not know what I. I would grab my cat and we would be. Out. <laughs> I think it's that that kind of like terror, like this terror of being like turning the corner and not knowing what exactly is going to be down there. Yeah. You know, the the ghost of this movie is so much about like the ghost of childhood. Yes. How you can never even, no matter how old you get, you can never really escape the things that have happened to you as a child. And they're always going yeah. to be there waiting, lurking around the corner, resurfacing themselves, mm -hmm. coming back up, mm -hmm. you know, and how do you live with the ghost that you have of, of childhood trauma, mm -hmm. of um, childhood violence? How do you live with those ghosts um, uh, in the past? This movie, um, I know it's it's produced by Guillermo del Toro, yeah. um, and it reminds me a lot of a movie that he made uh, before this called The Devil's Backbone. That's one of my favorite films ever. Okay. Oh, it's, it's so good, and people hardly ever talk about it, I think, because it's like, one, it's in Spanish, and then, like, I think it's before he kind of, like, made it in the United States, you know, before mm -hmm. Hellboy and stuff like that. Um, but that movie is also, like, this idea of, of childhood trauma, the embodiment of that living in this boy who had uh, violence enacted on him. And what does he need to appease himself? This movie has, like, two kind of major themes to it, like, one is the the bereaved mother, which is very common in horror movies. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is this um, 
this ghostly child who needs something. Um, uh, it reminds you of like the the ring, um, like the devil's backbone. Like there's just something that this creepy kid needs, uh, and this creepy kid's gonna keep popping up out of nowhere. Um, and it's up to this mother to figure out how to um, love this child or give this child something that they need, which is used a lot in horror movies. It is, and I think when the film came out, because I actually saw this film in theaters when it came out in 2007. Uh. And so I think the reason I wanted to talk about it today was because it had such, like there's, there's a ton of horror movies that have like a very, lasting impact on my psyche but this one for some reason was just like really intense to me mm-hmm. at that time where I first heard about it um I think it was in a pamphlet for a movie theater like this is what's upcoming mm-hmm. and because I am a del Toro stan I saw that his name was attached and was instantly like oh my god I don't know what this is but I'm so excited to see it and it was just the image of Thomas at the end of the hallway with the um with the, like sack over his head I had nightmares for a month before oh, no. it came out. It was that bad. Like, oh, no. it, was, it was that intense. Before the movie came out. I had not even seen the film. And one image, I was I like could not sleep. It was terrible. And I don't think I don't think I've had that intense of a reaction to something before. And then when I did see the movie, when you realize that um like Simon and Tomas and um, the the like really weird old social the woman who pretends to be a social worker mm-hmm. that they had been kind of living down there that there was a whole other section of the house that the mother didn't know about that disturbed me and my sister so deeply that for m- months later we could not sleep we could not get over it so it, I also think it's interesting that you bring up like childhood trauma and living with it and I love that in these movies ghosts and demons and like these monsters that appear are the like physical or non-corporeal manifestations of that and I think that now in particular we're at a time where people are recognizing their own traumas and therapy is becoming more kind of wild widely talked about and accepted I'm personally in it it's helped out a lot and so to be able to kind of revisit a film like this like seeing it in 20 uh, yeah 2007 and then renting it once to like watch with a friend later and then for years I just did not see the film because it freaked me out so much mm-hmm. and then rewatching it again you're absolutely right and it's it kind of fits the same situation of you're never going to completely get rid of your trauma you just have to learn to listen to it and live with it mm-hmm. which I think this film does really well yeah, I mean, I, I never really thought about that before, about how much um, our kind of contemporary culture of getting therapy, um, you know, and going through this kind of like, okay, let's start at the beginning of your life and let's analyze um, how much your childhood has impacted you as an adult. Yeah. yeah. Um, it totally feeds into like these kinds of movies, you know, because so much of these kinds of movies are like, I don't know why this ghost is haunting me. Why is this, you know, what did I do? What's happening? 
Uh, and it's the same thing as like when you're like, I don't know why, like I keep dating the same kind of fucking men. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I don't know why, like I have a bad relationship with my parents. Like I don't know why. And then you go to therapy and you're like, oh, it was me the whole time. <laughs> right. You know, like suddenly you're sitting on a couch or a chair somewhere, and the person is like you know, you have these patterns. Is it your mother? And then you're just sitting there like, baby? <laughs> Shook. Just my yeah. whole life. Just <laughs> it's true. It's true, though, because like you have someone that's not a friend. You have like a professional person to unpack, like you said, like your, your whole life, essentially. Mm-hmm. You start to realize the patterns and things that you pick up on. And I think the reason I love and I'm gravitated towards haunted house films and ghosts in particular is because the house holds all of that energy so deeply that you know whether it's the haunting or this film or the others or the idea that an energy can just be so intense and trapped there and if we look at our if we like look at ourselves as um I'm thinking of this, I'm literally thinking of this uh, Gerard Way song where it's like, baby, I'm a haunted house. <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh, it's, it's so upbeat and like poppy and it's such a sweet little song. Yes, listen, My Chemical Romance is back, all right? Um, they're they're back on tour. My friend messaged me and I damn near cried. I was like, I can't, I'm, my body is ready. <laughs> the whole day, as soon as they announced that they were like coming back, the whole day, I dug out this My Chemical Romance shirt. I was yeah. listening <laughs> to I'm Not Okay, I Promise, on repeat yeah. for 24 hours. I'm just, I'm, okay, thank you. That's a digression, but th- thank you for... No, no, I love it. I was, I was like, sh- I, I feel like I should throw this out because I don't, because I, I didn't want to claim that, like, I came up with the idea of, like, we're all these little haunted houses, and then the song started playing in my head. <laughs> and I think it's such a, I think it's such a good you know idea and statement of like we are if if our body is a temple or a house or whatever you want to call it and our trauma that like we all go through and hold there is still there then these films I think are really great ways I don't know to just kind of visualize that Mm -hmm. because like what what happens to create a ghost someone goes through a traumatic experience Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always, I don't even know if it necessarily always has to be violent, you know, like people, a a person passes away and they have unfinished business, their heart got broken, they got left at the altar, like something traumatic happens and the energy does not fade and it stays in the house. And I think that's why I love those films so much. So essentially the living person that comes in is in a weird way therapizing the house oh okay this makes it I feel like I just talked through something that I've been trying to figure out for half my life because I've been telling people I love haunted houses and then they go why and I'm like I don't know <laughs> this is horror therapy right now yeah but this this actually like makes sense to me I hope it makes sense to the listener but this is making, this is making sense to me <laughs> No, but it does. I mean, have you seen uh, the the TV show on Netflix, House on Haunted Hill? Yes, and I yeah, I I loved it for that very reason because it was a family drama, mm-hmm. you know, wrapped up in a in a haunted house movie. And I am pretty ashamed to say that I have not read the book, and I need to like 
leave immediately and go get this book and read it because I have read articles about like the first page of it or like the writing like the opening is supposed to be one of the most beautiful openings mm-hmm. ever um but I love the I, th- I know I think Robert Wise directed it I love mm, older yeah. films the black and white yeah and so I love that movie and then so I was excited when the Netflix was like oh we're making a whole series based on the book and then I saw the series and the way I watched the series was I used I used to live in a Victorian house <laughs> at the top floor <laughs> not making this up I lived at the top floor of an old Victorian and when you go downstairs the TV was in the living room and there was a really big like ornate fireplace when you walked out of like the little TV room and so when all my roommates would go to bed I would go downstairs and take my laptop and kind of like Chromecast Netflix onto the TV in this old ass house (laughs) and then when the episode ended, I'd have to like run up all the stairs <laughs> to my, my my bedroom. So I was just like, oh, what a great way. A part of me was like, haha, what a cool way to watch it. And then another part of me was like, no, this is, this is not, this is a good way to wake up something. <laughs> That's terrifying. I could never do that. Like even watching it in my tiny one bedroom apartment uh, on my laptop in my room, I was like, let me close every blind. Let me lock the door. Um, I, I have this little nightlight that I have and I had to have the, n- <laughs> I had to have it on, turned on the whole night. Wait, um, what, what does your nightlight look like? <laughs> Um, I have a little porcelain frog. Um, it's so cute. <laughs> and it's just this little goofy little frog. Um, and so I had to have that turned on. Normally I turn it off, you know, but God, that show was so terrifying. And, and like, um, when you, when you eventually read the book, uh, it's, it's not a very big book. So I think that you'll be able to mm-hmm. breeze through it. And yeah. Shirley Jackson's, uh, writing is just gorgeous I mean it's just so like we were talking earlier about flowery prose and stuff like that you know but hers is so um it's it's beautiful it's it's feminine but it's like it cuts right to it like it cuts right to the terror of it all I love that so I think you really really like it um and yeah like that that first place the first page where they talk about um those who walked uh, Hill House Walked Alone is like it's so good. It's, it's gorgeous. Right. So I I'm a huge huge fan of that book um, and the original 1960 movie. Yeah. And when I watched the first episode, it was nothing. It's nothing like the book or the movie. It's like mm-hmm. a revisioning of that whole thing. And yeah. I was like, I was like, f this. I don't like this. Yeah yeah yeah. You know, I'm this original, how dare you disrespect Shirley Jackson like this? Like, I was so against it. Uh, and then I I watched the, like, I binged the entire series, like, the next day. Um, I could not go to sleep, so I was up for two days. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, and, like, that sort of, like, uh, the kind of residue that you leave behind in a house, the kind yeah. of like you know mm-hmm. this idea of like every place you go you leave a bit of yourself behind mm-hmm. um I think you know 
me, I was a military brat, so I moved around a lot. Oh, yeah. And so, like, when you go, so many times when I would go into new houses, it always felt like this was not my home because somebody else lived here. There was, I was always moving into occupied spaces, even though it was, uh-huh. like, like yeah. Yeah. You know, and so when you go into these homes, every house feels haunted. It's haunted by something else, some mm-hmm. other presence that you can't yeah. really finger on. And so for these films, even like when you come back home to your like childhood home or something like that, it feels like you're like you still live there. Like there's you're still in, inhabiting that space. There's still like twelve year old you that yeah. still lives in this space, even yeah. though like you've left, you know. Um, and so those kind of films tap into all of us because of the fact that like we all, well, not all of us, but but you know, living in homes, having lived in spaces, we understand like the idea of like, is this my space mm-hmm. or is this somebody else's space? Right who who owns this space mm-hmm. who has made their mark on this space before i came in uh and how do i make a space my own how do i how do i transform this so that it feels like i occupy this space and so right. that's i think why the the ghost story is so universal um yeah so personal it is, and I've been so, like, deeply attracted to it for so many years, because in a, another kind of strange way, it also presents the idea that, like, no one really dies, mm-hmm. you, know, no, you know, no one really leaves, your physical presence is gone, but, I don't know, your essence, your soul, your spirit, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. is still there, and I think when I was talking to someone, they pointed out that in horror, to kind of create a ghost, you know, we talked about trauma or violence, and they were like, you're interested in the aftermath. Mm-hmm. So I don't really focus too much on how the person died, even though the mystery of the ghost story is, you know, you have to kind of figure out how they died or what happened. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the aftermath of they're still here. We need to figure out why and possibly how. And then we need to figure out, like, like one of the scenes I really love in... Um, the orphanage was the game that the orphans had her play specifically during the end where she's running around and i also think like visually this was such a brilliant device to introduce the rest of the house and the space and the grounds because when she first plays it with her child you see that they have a chapel in this mansion (laughs) you know then you really start to get a sense of the scale and so instead of doing the whole like let me do a home tour with a realtor or let, Oh, let me walk you around. You get it through a game that the the mom is playing with her kid. And then you suddenly see like, Oh shit, this is a massive, massive space Mm -hmm. that they have. And they're running around all everywhere. And then when it, the same device is mimicked at the end and the children present her with a doorknob that is really chilling to me because suddenly you know there is a whole other place that we have not seen that she doesn't know even exists and she's running around she's checking out all the doorknobs in the house and she can't find it and your brain is just like well fuck this place is so big (laughs) how many more secrets are we gonna 
are we going to figure out or is she going to see and i i don't know it's little it's like little stuff like that that kind of just really really but that's like that's like the self you know like we're talking about like therapy you know it's like when you're going through therapy and uh your therapist is like what about this and they hand you this doorknob and you're like i i didn't even know i had this trauma and, yeah. <laughs> and you're telling me I have even more trauma. <laughs> and she's like, here's some doorknobs. Go. Your homework is to just go open yourself up so we can help you. And yes. but but yeah, and you and and it's difficult because you know that all of these keys fit, all of these doorknobs mm, fit yes. somewhere, but you're somewhere. just not quite sure mm-hmm. where yet. Yes. And and I guess in the grand scheme of things, you're going to be opening and possibly closing and locking multiple doors for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. And there are wings in this house that we are never going to go into. You know, there's like always a thing in horror movies where they're just like, you do not go to this room. I love that. I love that. (laughs) This room is locked. I have the key. You are not allowed into this room. And that's like, that's like the self, you know, where you're just like, listen, I have locked this room away. It is gone. I have swallowed the key. And of course, like, what's the one room that you know, you know, it's like Chekhov's gun. It's like, what's the one room that you know we're going to go into? that room that we were told not to go into exactly because that is the that is the you know that's the place that holds the most curiosity and for me horror was that room that you were not supposed to enter you're not supposed to like step foot into it you're you're not giving me keys no doorknobs people who like that room people who want to get into that room y'all are all strange y'all are all messed up you know i'm fascinated by that because i feel like so many people do that I think so many people are just kind of like oh that's like you know because like when I tell people oh I love horror movies they're like really yeah I was I was gonna ask you like how do people respond to you because I I feel like we might get a little bit of a similar look or yeah there's a there's a look that you there's a look there's kind of a thing of like so I tell people like usually I tell people oh I, I do media stuff you know, it's kind of like the general, what do you do kind of a answer. Um, and then I said, well, it's particularly it has to do with like horror movies. And there's yeah. always this kind of like, huh, <laughs> I would have never guessed. Right. Do, do horror. That's interesting. And then there's usually this big, long thing of this person who's like, well, I hate horror movies and I'll, I'll never watch them and I don't like them. And there's this big, long explanation about why they hate horror movies, you know, and then I have to like pull them, pull them aside, sit them down, give them some tea and be like, what about being scared? Do you not like, (laughs) what is it about fear that you cannot embrace? And then we have to go through this whole thing. And so it's typically like, the conversation goes, it starts from disbelief, and the person is like, why would I ever like horror movies? Yeah. And then I go into this whole thing about how horror movies are an exploration of the self, uh, and then I give them a list of horror movies to go home and watch. <laughs> Turn them, convert everyone. Because <laughs> I, try, I try to be like, it's not that you hate horror movies, it's just that you haven't found the horror movies that you like. 
and that's like that's it and that was that was the thing for me where once I learned that there were so many different subgenres, I was like oh okay now now I can get into what I get into because Mm -hmm. you're right there's so there's so much to fear is like such a powerful thing that people historically have harnessed and have used against us for ages. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, the genre dedicated to that fear would be so vast and wide. And and I think that's why you get a lot of debates about, is that horror? Like, you know, like when The Witch came out, so many, there were so many people who were like, I don't know if this is a horror movie. And I was like, are we, what? <laughs> because to me, that is a horror movie. Right. So... But it's but it also is interesting because then you can kind of turn that conversation not into like a you don't know what you're talking about, but you can turn it into maybe you didn't find this as scary as I did. So now I'm curious as to like what you what thing you fear or what you define fear as. Right. Which I yeah, which I think is also a very interesting conversation. I think that, you know, some people really don't want to let themselves have uncomfortable conversations with themselves, Yeah, you know, and, you know, it's like this idea that you, that maybe either people who watch horror movies aren't weirdos, or maybe in actuality, you are a fucking weirdo, like, (laughs) you know, which is fine <laughs> which is fine it's fine like you know but either of those two mindsets is a challenge for some people you know to challenge themselves to say oh maybe i am a little strange maybe i am a little strange or maybe these people that i always described as being strange aren't actually that strange at all and yeah. so both of those things are kind of um uh things that you have to uh, check yourself on and and sometimes it's really hard for people um and I get it I mean I think that there's this idea of like a horror movie fan that they are like an unhinged creepy weirdo <laughs> who is just walking around in like a dirty Halloween shirt and <laughs> I don't know some type of like Michael Myers mask yeah that they just wear for fun because it's a Wednesday <laughs> they just show up, you know, like, outside your house and stuff like that. I, I get it. I get that that's, like, that might be the idea, that they're just, like, creeps. But, like, but, like, you know, I, and I think I also get that from, like, horror movie fans, is that other fans will be like, oh, I never would have thought that you'd be a horror movie fan. And it's just like, what do you think horror movie fans look like? It's know? interesting because, yeah, and I feel like the genre itself, although visually is not diverse as I personally would like it to be yet, the fandom is, like, period. It is. It is so incredibly diverse. There's such a wide range of, like, all walks of life who just genuinely love all of the incredible films that, you know, fit within the really wide scope that is horror. And so when you meet people who are like, Oh, I didn't, I never would have guessed. Yeah, I have that same question. Like, I met a guy recently and introduced myself, and then, you know, yeah, you get to this, what do you do, and what's your job? And when I say I write or I'm a writer, I specifically go, I'm a horror writer. Mm. Because at this point in time, that's kind of all I write. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I haven't tried to branch out or do anything else, and I feel like I found my niche, and I feel pretty happy because it's 
it's early on in the niche where I can still explore, you know, a bunch of varying various things because my career is so new. Yeah. But I'll tell people like I'm I love I'm a horror writer. I love horror movies. Yeah, and every and it's the same thing. Everyone's like, oh whoa, I know I I didn't expect that or. You know, and I think I said to one guy, I was like, I'm not in my Hellraiser shirt today, but like, if you need me tomorrow, like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what a person who likes horror is supposed to like. I mean, it really, it just like blows people's minds. I think there, there's still this idea. It's the same kind of thing with like comic books and video games that it's like white male over the, uh, over the age of 30. And there's still this kind of like, idea that like fandom things are predominantly fanboys um yeah I can I can see that for sure because I feel like if I was yeah if I was a completely different person and I chose to present myself in a way that outwardly people would go oh of course they like horror you know then it would kind of be obvious but for people you know for like me and you and other women and other men and other people who are like you know, naughty, like on like a full other spectrum of how they're living out their lives. And they, and they say it like, yeah, I love horror. I watch it a lot or I study it or I write it or I research it. So for, for the, you know, for other people, it's such a, it's such a shock. I also, yeah. When you mentioned that, I think people sometimes think that, oh, a fan must be unhinged in a way. Mm. It's almost like you can't be this happy <laughs> person and then yeah. like this really dark stuff right right yeah because I had a, I was talking to a friend and she was texting me and she was like um I was telling her about the show and she goes oh you know like that's about like that's really macabre right like that's mm. about demon stuff and I'm like yeah and she goes well is, is that what you write you know there's always that is that what you're into you right, know like right. people give people give you this I feel like they want to pull you aside and like whisper to you like are you okay like is that <laughs> that what you do and like my um on my instagram i think my little bio says screenwriter slash walking study and demonology for tv that line is from a whole song because i love whole (laughs) and i love that song celebrity skin and i love that line and i thought that it was fitting but then you know sometimes people can kind of read that wrong and go like oh but wait like are you genuinely and Mm. it's like no one is hurting anyone. This yeah. is just the type of media that we have chosen to consume. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's this kind of, uh, it's funny because I was doing a, um, a screening of Blackula um, a couple of weeks ago. Oh no, a couple of months ago. And there was this older black woman who uh, came to it and she was like, she was like, I was really afraid of watching Blackula uh, in the 70s because you know I didn't want any kind of dark forces to come into my life (laughs) can we talk about that for a second because I feel like this is a very uniquely and I'm gonna say black instead of people of color because I feel like I can only speak for my own black experience but I feel like this is a very uniquely black thing yes because growing up I went to predominantly I honestly like um I went to all black schools until like high school. So like every place I went to was majority black, if not predominantly black. 
until high school. And then my high school was predominantly black. But during like the middle school, elementary school years, whenever a horror movie would come out and people would start talking about it, they would have conversations of, I am not going to the theater to see this movie for this thing to possess me through the screen, for this energy to come into my spirit. Like it, and it, and they were like really like dead about it. They were like, yeah. I am not invited. It, yeah, it's almost as if sitting there and watching the movie is an invitation. You know, and I think that there is something to um, blackness, black spirituality, um, yeah. black religiosity, that is this sort of idea that if I open myself up to, and I, I think there's actually some validity to this, like the idea mm -hmm. that if I open, what things I open myself up to, I allow myself to indulge in, I will become. And I think that there's, I don't necessarily think it's like, not every single person who saw The Exorcist became a demon. It's just right. possible. <laughs> I mean, like, you want to say, like, okay, one or two people became a demon? I'll believe that. The odds are there. I see it. But, like, it's not possible. But I do think that, you know, if you are the kind of person, um, like, I grew up, kind of the opposite way like majority white schools uh, uh -huh. for my whole entire life until I got to high school um and so when yeah, I was we like <laughs> we like yeah exactly yeah. Uh, and so uh when I was growing up in middle school there was this um series called faces of death oh my god oh yeah I heard I heard about that I've never seen it I'm not interested in like ever watching it yeah it was like a hundred percent for the kids in my middle school that had behavioral problems um oh, no. <laughs> so it was uh if, if you guys don't know uh faces of death was a very popular I guess not popular but infamous set of tapes um, mm -hmm. that would show like um, really graphic stuff. This was back before YouTube, I guess, uh, when you had to get a VHS copy of Wild Stuff. Um, and it would show like graphic car crashes. It would show like animal attacks. Mm -hmm. It would show like uh, death row stuff um, there shootings too? it was like it was every kind of it would show a lot of stuff of like people who had been like people who had been shot who were like still alive and stuff like that like it was very graphic oh, wow. horrific yeah. um things um that it would show and there were like eight volumes of it um and uh wow. it was like <laughs> this thing where yeah like if you if you ever brought like a knife to school you were probably one of these kids that <laughs> watched this <laughs> so death. Like, yeah <laughs> oh no and so um but it's like like for example i would never watch faces of death because i feel like that is inviting something that energy that vibe, mm -hmm. that kind of visual. I don't need those kind of visuals in my mind, in my brain. Yeah. I don't need them in yeah. Um, I like the idea of watching people die. Um, I remember, oh God, an ex-boyfriend of mine, this is like a total tangent. He's not listening. Fuck him. Um, he had <laughs> a copy of it. And one of the things that he, he did show me was, um, there was a, there were two people who 
had committed suicide live on air and one volume had there's a oh my god what's the name of the movie um chelsea i think is the name of the movie about this woman who was a, a was a reporter on oh christina. christina i saw that film yes. yeah i saw that one and so we had gone out and we had seen the movie christine and then he was like oh don't you know that this is based on a real story and i was like say what now um, yeah and, and he had like the tape of oh like her suicide you know Whoa. uh and then we had to have a very long conversation about what he is allowed to show me and what is he not allowed yeah. to show me oh. uh, and so you know it was stuff like that and i i get it when people say i don't want to invite that kind of stuff into my life mm-hmm. but at the same time it's like you know horror movies are therapy sessions they are fictional um you know they are thought exercises they Mm -hmm. are a way of addressing the human condition our own darkness our own failings our our problems they are healthy ways of talking about the things that we all go through we all have darkness we all have have uh traumas you know uh we all have dark thoughts. We all have tr- trauma and horror movies are a way of going through those emotions without pretending as though those things don't exist. Right. Um, I'm so, f- I'm glad you brought that up because I lately I've been so fascinated with all of these articles that have been coming out about people with anxiety specifically and how and why they are attracted to horror and I am a very deeply anxious person. I have lived with anxiety and have gone through panic attacks pretty much my whole life and have only just started realizing within the past like year of what it is and what the name of it is and like how to kind of get a handle on things. And the more of these like articles or even interviews with other authors that I've been listening to, there's a lot of just really deeply, and I've been listening to women specifically, there's a lot of and reading women specifically, there's all of these very deeply anxious women just by nature, because I feel like we have to be deeply anxious and navigate the world in a way that a lot of other people don't. But, you know, some people are just really confused as to why we would gravitate to a genre that breeds anxiety and lives in anxiety. And I recently watched um, Aliens. So I love Alien, and I realized I had, I had never seen the sequel. And so the kind of like, I guess we're kind of veering into sci-fi a little bit, but like the sci-fi horror type of, you know, you have a woman screaming, I lived through this, don't go there. I'm telling you, this is a thing that exists and is real and I experienced it. And you have, like, I think at one point she's in a room with a group of majority men. There's some women there, but there's not that many. And she's just like, I'm telling you my experience and I lived through this. This is my lived experience. And they're like, no, sorry. We, we don't believe you. We're going to send people there anyway. Um, you know, it's totally fine. I don't think you can prove it. You know, I've never seen this for myself. So therefore it doesn't exist. And when you watch stuff like that and you know, that movie and a slew of others, you in a weird way start for me, at least I start to be like, oh my God, like, listen to her, listen to her. But then at the end, you're kind of validated because the monster does come for everybody. And then suddenly you have a a bunch of people that are like, 
oh, whoa, you, you were telling the truth. <laughs> you didn't make this up. The house is really haunted. The monster is really there. There's a thing in the basement. There's a thing in the attic. Don't go in that room. Um, so you do get to live in a, you know, you live in a space of fear safely. If you are used to navigating the world, you know, regardless of who you are, um, differently from other people because of your own circumstances. And then you sit in the dark and you watch a character do that for an hour to three hours. It feels very like, oh my God, someone gets this. Mm -hmm. Because now people who don't experience this as a collective, we can all experience this. Right. You know, like with Get Out, everyone in the theater I sat with has not experienced institutionalized racism and the many, many parasitic ways that it comes out. But suddenly we are all on an equal playing field and that we are rooting for this black man to escape. And we are aligned with a perspective that allows us to feel what he is feeling. And suddenly everyone is anxious. So horror for those of us who are just kind of anxious anyway, I feel like is a way to kind of either introduce people to an anxiety that they might not know or experience, or for us to just, you know, like I was rewatching um, the orphanage in my bed this morning in a, you know, in my room, in a space that I feel safe in, in a bed that I feel comfortable in. And I'm still like getting chills and getting upset and like getting sad and watching this mother. And so you're going through this full range of emotion, but you're in a safe space and you feel okay doing it. So, you know, if that's what it takes to make you feel all right, then by all means, watch that slasher movie you want to watch. <laughs> I mean, that's true. You know, I think that, that horror movies are... Uh, a really great way of sort of addressing anxiety and addressing emotions yeah. like that um, and uh, doing this sort of like exposure exercise to get through. Yeah, yeah that know. makes sense. And so, um, uh, so we've been talking about this for an hour and a half, uh, um, <laughs> which is so much longer than what uh, I thought we were going to, well, I should have, I should have assumed. No, I did not even feel that way. Oh my God. But I feel like we tackled a, like a lot of really, really great topics. In there. Yeah. And I feel like we could go on and talk about this for probably another hour and a half. Yeah. Um, but I, I love this because I feel like the, what this conversation has been about is like, A, maybe get some therapy, you know, if you, yeah. if you need it. <laughs> and maybe if you, even if you don't think you need it, maybe get some therapy. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's definitely a good start if you have some people that can help you with resources if you I don't know like there's because I, I know it's not extremely accessible to everyone but if you're I don't know if you're able to even if you even take the step as to google what, what it is or what kinds there are then I'm proud of you yes same same um if you can if you do have access to it um, and I think the idea of, of exploring the haunted house as an exploration of therapy, therapeutic, um, uh, uh, this idea of, of going through the mind as the haunted house is a really brilliant, um, a, br a brilliant idea that I really hadn't thought of before. Um, and I really like that we got a chance to talk about that. Yeah, me too. Um, all right, so tell everybody where they can watch Evil. What time does it come on TV? 
Oh my goodness, you can watch Evil on CBS, the app. Uh, it's also on Amazon Prime, which is a way that some of my friends have been watching it. If you, you know, if you don't have a TV and you want to stream it, uh, it comes on Thursdays, and I believe it's at nine o'clock. Nine o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time. Yes. Great. Uh, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast, for coming on. Um, I would definitely love to have you back on again, uh, so that we can talk about, uh, aliens, uh, cause, <laughs> oh, yeah, that is a whole, whole other thing. Oh, and I misspoke. It's 10, it's 10 o'clock. So add, add another hour, stay up later, watch it at 10. <laughs> all right. I'll put all the information below, um, about where people can find, where can people find you? I am, um, all of my social media is under the cinema doll. So Instagram, Pinterest. Yes. <laughs> More Pinterest followers, please. Um, I think my Twitter is there as well. So yeah, it's all, it's all the cinema doll, all the same. Um, so this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for being part of it. Thanks for having me. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you guys for uh, being part of this conversation. It was so good. I'm so sorry that we had to cut it short, but you know how these things go. If you want to keep listening to more episodes of the Nocturnal Emissions show, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And I will see you on the other side. Bye. Bye. Wow. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode with my very special guest, uh, as I refer to her as Chinchi. Um, I'm back. Can you believe it? I've been gone for what I think is uh, 60 years. Yes, I believe it's 60 years to the day since I have done a podcast. Um, a lot has been going on, y'all. I don't know if you if you know this, but a lot has been going on in the world. I've been just busy, busy. Um, uh, you know, there's been a pandemic. Um, there has been a civil unrest. Um, and also I've been having out of body experiences. I think that's the only way that I can really describe it. I've been having um, just out of body experiences. <laughs> a lot has been going on and I'm so sorry. I was thinking for so long um, about recording new episodes. Um, I have um, recordings from before all of this, from early 2020 when I thought that 2020 was going to be my year and that I was going to accomplish so much. I recorded a bunch of interviews and then the world exploded. So I have a whole bunch of episodes. I'm going to be releasing them over the next few weeks. Um, but also I think that we may have to revisit Nocturnal Emissions and kind of do some sort of rehashing on what this podcast is. I don't know if we're gonna go full rebrand, but I think I have some new ideas for some new content out there. I just really apologize for taking so long to come back to recording, but um, shit's crazy, y'all. Shit is really wild out there, and I really needed some time to figure out what I was doing and 
to kind of take care of my mental health and to take care of myself emotionally and psychologically and otherwise, which I highly recommend that everybody out there does. But it feels really good to be back and it feels great to be recording again. And I hope to be bringing new content, new surprises. We're not going anywhere. Um, I don't know about you all, but I'm probably going to be staying inside of my house for at least the next, oh, I don't know, 18 months to 17 years. I don't know. Um, so I might as well get started on some recordings. I have some brand new stuff in the pipeline. If you're not following me on Twitter, I'm at N-O-C-E-M-I-S-S. -S, and I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. All those links should be in the, um, what do you call that little thing? What, what I, it's been so long since I've done this in the show notes. Oh my goodness. Those are all be linked in the show notes. Also, if you would like to subscribe uh, to my Patreon, that would be a huge help. That helps me to be able to get closer to my goal of being a full-time creative weirdo and anything that you can offer would be appreciated. So take care of yourself stay spooky, stay inside, and wear the damn mask. Bye!